You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the B&H app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the bushfires that have been ravaging Australia for the past several months. Our guest is Nick Moyer, who is the chief photographer of the Sydney Morning Herald. But before we speak with Nick, we welcome our colleague, David Brahma, who is the organizer of the Optic and Depth of Field Photo Conferences. If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that we get a lot of great guests thanks to David's hard work. David puts on a great show and invites photographic luminaries such as Albert Watson and Michael Kenna to speak. If you are in New York or online, we encourage you to come to the New Yorker Hotel on February 11th and 12th for the 2020 Depth of Field Portrait Wedding and Event Photography Conference. Without further ado, we present Mr. Brahma to tell us more about the upcoming conference, followed by our conversation with Australian wildfire photographer Nick Moyer. But first, a man who remains void where prohibited, Mr. David Brahmer. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hey, thanks a lot. It's been a couple of years since I've been on. Yes, I know that. I know that, but we couldn't keep the door locked anymore. We had to let you back in. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> it's exciting times. So tell us about what's happening this year with Depth of Field. So Depth of Field is... Let's just talk about what depth of field is. That's a good starting point, yes. Depth of field is about creating an event that empowers uh, a young photographer. Uh, it gets the right gear in their hands. Mm -hmm. There's an extensive loaner system and a shooting environment. Uh, there's inspiration and there's practical. So we're covering theoretical and practical in one event. And the idea is that you walk away with all these great ideas in your head and your portfolio and your Instagram feed will swell from the work that you've created at this event. And specifically, this is the real money-making photographer uh, profession. It's wedding, it's bar mitzvahs, it's event photography, it's portraiture. Uh, this is the this is the the village photographer. This year we have Ike and Tosh coming in from Tacoma, Washington. They specialize in the seniors market. So this is the bread and butter photography session uh, that we're we're really that we're offering. We've been there for the two prior uh, depth of field conferences, and the energy level of people is really something. There's a real buzz and a real sense of energy in the air. And I'm also intrigued about um, people come from great distances. Uh, we talk to a lot of people because we always have a little podcast station here. We, we do a lot of interviews and a lot of people stop by uh, to say hello. And it really is a cross section of, uh, uh, of, of the world, I'll say. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we really cater to the world because you can come to New York City and attend in person, and that's the best way to experience yeah. depth of field. But if you can't make it, you just log into bhdepthoffield.com starting at 9.30. On February 11th, it begins, and then it, uh, it's February 12th. It's two days long. The main stage on, on day one, you talk about energy, opening up Jerry Jehonas, mm -hmm. who's uh, the creator of the ice light. Yeah, he's uh, an amazing photographer. And, and then uh, after lunch, we're having Greg Gorman come in. Uh, Greg Gorman, the inheritor of the George Harrell lighting, photographed yeah, yeah, so many yeah. iconic uh, 70s and 80s and 90s movie stars with incredible lighting. If you thought that, like depth of field is only good on the first day, mm -hmm. which you know we're always more popular on the first day, day two is amazing. Starting off Peter Hurley, shebang. Peter Hurley, uh, talking about headshots and and also marketing and business of it. Uh, Sony's Chris Orwig, uh, a wonderful portrait photographer, a classic portrait photographer. And then our keynote speaker for day two is Mick Rock. Okay, who Boom. has been on the show. You just never know what to expect when no, Mick you gets... Don't. You put a microphone in front of him and just... Put up, you know, buckle up, baby. Alan, I may not be working for B&H <laughs> come uh, yeah, on uh, the Thursday. But what a way to go, baby. <laughs> what what a, a way to go. Okay, you'll become a legend for that alone. It's okay. It's worth it. Then we're going to announce the Depth of Field Challenge winners. Uh, always a fun thing. We've got a second stage. Second stages are, are things that really help your profession. And then we've got uh, something pretty cool. We've got the Let There Be Light room. Let There Be Light is uh, re uh, revolving demonstrations from Nikon, Sony, Canon, Profoto, and Westcott. And then uh, we also have live speaker demonstrations in the trade show. Sal, Jerry are going to be on the stages uh, in respective Canon, Nikon. Uh, Chelsea, Kyle, Isabel Epstein. And then uh, do, you got, do you like puppies? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so, but Sony. But I prefer kittens. Well, Sony's bringing puppies. Oh. So they got a, a camera that tracks the eyeballs. So 
I know you guys are tight for time, but I'm very excited about one thing. I want to tell you about the Depth of Field Challenge. If you do attend in person, the challenge this year, first prize is a $2,500 B&H gift card and a green vest, Depth of Field Challenge winner vest. Ooh. So you can, if you if you want to honeymoon in the store, you can cruise into the <laughs> store. You can, you can help answer some questions. Uh, the... A focus of this depth of field challenge is going to be a series of steps that you have to go through, and then you'll be able to enter your photograph that you create at depth of field to get into the challenge. One of the fulcrums of the challenge is going to be the, the nexus heartbeat of it is the uh, studio experience room where we're going to have about uh, 10 setups, rotating models, high style sets, uh, great lighting from Photo Westcott, uh, Generay, Luxley. And, and puppies. And puppies. And puppies. Uh, and the dates of this are? February 11th and February 12th. And the uh, location is? This is at the New Yorker Hotel mm -hmm. in New York City on 34th and 8th Avenue, just around the corner from the B&H Superstore. And online everywhere, if you go to bhdepthoffield.com, you can log in and get a reminder for the uh, live stream. Okay, David Brahma, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to Depth of Field for 2020. Thank you. And now, as promised, a conversation with Australian wildfire photographer Nick Moyer. Nick has been the chief photographer of the Sydney Morning Herald since 1993. An unabashed, card-carrying storm chaser, Nick's work, and I quote, captures the dramatic environmental phenomena of Australia, from its ragged lightning and dust storms and blackening bushfires to the devastating effects of climate change. Nick received a World Press Photo Award for coverage of the destructive 2003 bushfire season, and in 2009, he was named International Environmental Photographer of the Year in the Changing Climates category. He's also covered stories in China and Cambodia, and his photo essay, Last Day on Earth, took a look at the storms of America's Tornado Alley. Nick is a founding member of Oculi, the Australian-based photo collective, and he's kind enough to join us from Sydney via Skype today during what must be a very trying time. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hi. Before we begin, two things I want to mention. Uh, a, a big thank you to one of our listeners, specifically John Paul Poritz, who suggested today's topic. He even went as far as giving us the names of a few notable Australian photographers we might want to include on the show. And B, when pulling the show together, John reached out to Jordan Cantello, who along with photographer and filmmaker Jim Reed were guests on an episode we aired back in 2019 about extreme weather photography. Jordan is a wildfire officer who lives in Western Australia. More recently, he's been serving as the air operations manager in the Northeast portion of Australia, where he describes his work as trying to contain Australia's epic firestorm as being, and I'm going to quote, the most intense period of my professional life. Just the other day, a Colson Aviation C-130 water tanker was lost. Among the casualties were three American firefighters who were members of an international effort to control this continent-wide inferno. Understandably, Jordan was not able to join us for today's conversation, but in his email to John, he wrote something that struck a chord within me, and I'm going to read that line right now. It just goes to show how we're always working on that very fine line between everything being okay and everything not being okay. Nick, how does that last sentence resonate with you, all things considered? Well, everything has very much been not okay, essentially, for the past four months. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it is a very thin line, um, and, and uh, there are times when uh, you might be very confident in your position and what's going on, but the fire behavior can really um, take you by surprise. This season has been yeah, off the scale. It really has been uh, astounding. E each day I, I went out, um, it would just be a level higher than it should have been. Um, yeah, it's been ferocious. Is it the, the amount of fires, the size, the, the, the ambient heat that's encouraging all this? What's making this such a, a, a perfect storm, for lack of better words? Uh, there's a few things. Um, the the three-year drought we've had has been um, e extremely uh, deep, is the, I guess the way I would have to describe it. So it... Um, it, what, it wasn't just a slow, um, eventual drought. It just immediately, there was no rain. Uh, and, and there's just been like just massive uh, swathes of Southeast Australia and particularly the forests 
of, of South East Australia have just not had um, anywhere near even like a, a, a small percentage of the rain we would get. So the, all the fuel loads um, are dry all the way down to the actual uh, to the, the surface. Um, now, there's a lot of, um, and certainly it's in some ways it mirrors what happens in the US. There's always a lot of um, very uh, vibrant debate about um, hazard reduction and like prescribed burning. Um, we've also got some uh, some stuff that's not helped things. There's been a lot of uh, staff cuts at um, the National Park Service. And so a lot of the very experienced uh, parks officers who specialise in uh, fire management uh, ha have been, um, yeah, well, they lost their jobs. So the actual preparation to the last two seasons in particular has been uh, not as good as it could be. But um, really, it's just the it's just the the act, this season. The, the difference is the size of the fires, the the actual ferocity of them, their their movement. They uh, so some of the the fires have been moving, uh, let's say about forty miles um, overnight. Wow. So when fires should not be moving at all, they are moving huge distances, um, and that that's really what has been. Just this, the fire behaviour, and and just they just keep coming. They keep coming. Hmm. I, I, I've been told, that, and I've heard that they actually are creating their own climates within themselves. It's like a world yeah, within a world. Yeah. So what what happens is you you get what's called a pyrocumulonimbus. So it is a, a, a it's essentially a what we would be chasing out on the plains um, each year, as in uh, U.S. plains. Um, so a, a tornadic thunderstorm, but it's been initiated um, not by a dry line or a uh, or or a mountain or something like you might get in the US, but the actual fire underneath mm. is what's creating the uplift to create that that storm. Uh, and so, when you get a a fire driven tornado coming down ahead of um, a massive bushfire or wildfire, uh, yeah, it's it's a dangerous situation, and we have actually. Uh, we lost a, a firefighter and, and there was a number of injured when a, one of these uh, fire tornadoes picked up a, uh, a fire truck, and we're talking something that's like six or seven tons, and, and flung it through the air. So Jeez. just ast ast astounding conditions. <sighs> uh, yeah, and that, like, that's been occurring. So we might pick, get a, a pyrocumulonimbus um, event uh, once a season, Um and like uh, if you guys remember the the campfire um, event in in California mm -hmm. oh, last sure, year, oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been having fires like that essentially every what I would call fire day, and sometimes we'd be having three or four. So on New Year's Eve, we had uh, like about six or seven fires of that sort of magnitude or even higher, uh, just tearing through our forests and into um, some of the. Uh, the coastal um, sort of holiday regions of um, New South Wales. Wow. Well, yeah. And in, in terms of photo photography and your work, are you out in the field almost every day? Are you covering it? Is your team covering it? Can you kind of uh, describe to us how your approach to covering it is? I'm also curious if you want to tack on to that. Are you approaching this differently from prior fire seasons because of its size? Or you know, have you changed any of your tactics or methodology? Yeah, so uh, what? how we uh, would uh, cover it, um, and it's actually something that um, myself and a couple of other photographers sort of started doing back in the, the early um, thousands, so 2001 in particular, um, using a little bit of uh, uh, like my storm chasing knowledge, I'd be predicting where the worst winds were would be, um, where the, the, the biggest sort of fuel loads were, where an actual fire is already burning, and if it's likely to impact um, any sort of communities. And so uh, I would put myself in that area um, before um, the actual expected fire, uh, before the, the worst period of the, the fire day. Um, whereas traditionally newspapers tend to react. Um, so being proactive made a big difference, uh, certainly back then. 
um, and the newspapers uh, responded out. Newspaper immediately recognised um, the potential, particularly at this, back then we were just at the start of uh, the sort of the digital um, use of digital cameras in newspapers and being able to have uh, like act, like fire photos from literally 10 minutes before on their you know their web pages though they were pretty crappy web pages back then uh <laughs> was was astounding to them um and we've um we've continued that since then what is really um uh the difference this season is it's just been essentially it's been fire since late september so there's just no way that you can keep up going out to the the fire zones every single day so um, what I'm doing is is essentially forecasting um, when the the worst days are, and then either myself or one of uh, our team uh, are in position. I mean, sometimes we get caught out and a fire will take off in an area we didn't expect, but generally we've been able to at least um, cover the, the, most of the the big fires. How much territory um, do you actually cover in your area? Uh, let's see, New South Wales is, uh, I think it'd be about roughly the size of Texas, but if you chopped out the panhandle. Um, so it's about, about that sort of size. However, it would be, um, you know, it's about well, probably 1,000 miles um, from north to south um, and about... 400 east-west of the actual forests sort of and, region. And how, do you, so, how, how do you get back and forth? Are you flying with driving? Time is of the essence, obviously. It, it is, but um, because of uh, – I mean, you have to commit uh, to a particular fire. Um, so you, you use a lot of your, sort of your local knowledge. But I will drive and get there usually the day before or in the morning. Um, the thing is that most of the fires, they're not all over the state all at once. Um, you, you've got – Throughout the summer, um, the regions have moved from um, north to south. So currently, we're just in the so the far south part of the state is where the fire activity is. So it's not like you're having to do uh, you know a thousand miles in a day or anything like that. Is this on the front page every day? Is this the main story that you guys are following, or is it something that becomes almost uh, you know I don't want to belittle it but if it's been going on to september is it something that's being covered every single day it's definitely been covered um every single day Mm -hmm. uh we had kind of transferred over i guess into aftermath and the social and um environmental impact um however uh, we we did have a, a decent rain event and then it's kind of disappeared again so we are back to the um, the actual firefighting stage again with uh, the day when um, uh, the uh, the and Aviation uh, C-130 went down. We lost about 35 homes that day. Um, that was that was unexpected. Um, and then um, uh, we're expecting another sort of bad day on Saturday, Sunday here in our um, near our capital, Canberra. There's a there's quite a, a nasty fire there. So. It is not over yet. Um, and do you tend to that, cover... That's kind of been... Sorry, go ahead. That's, yeah, it's kind of a bit... It's unexpected and and um, exhausting, even just thinking about it, really, because <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it's been... Um, instead of a battles, it, it, this has been a war. It, it really has. This is, a, this is about as trying as it gets. And your life is on the line. Yeah, look, there's been uh, something like 25 deaths so far which is actually pretty amazing it's actually that low um in 2009 uh, we had 173 deaths in one fire down in victoria but um that was kind of a unexpected event and everything kind of went wrong on that day wasn't that what people um, were evacuating at the time wasn't that if i remember correctly or no uh yes it was essentially they just they they just were not expecting what happened, um, really. But, yeah, a lot of people got caught out. It's very si- similar to the Paradise um, situation over in California. Um, a lot of people uh, were caught on the roads. Um, the, pre- the preparation here by our um, uh, rural fire service 
um, has been extensive and going on for a couple of decades, just drilling into people to be prepared. And I actually think that that's really, um, it, it's benefited the, the people who are facing these fires um, quite well. And the show that we did a few months back, a half a year ago, it seems that people in Australia, this is a routine thing that goes on every year, and people understand how to protect their homes, like especially to keep the cinders from getting underneath, like the shingles and things. Uh, it's more than just spraying water on your evergreens. Um, but this one also, this storm, this year's season seems to be even just overtaking a lot of all of these old precautions. Is that is that correct assumption? Yeah, it's it's the ferocity um, and the scale of the fires. So, um, whereas we might have a a day where we will have a very serious fire, but the fire services are able to get um, a lot of resources on that fire. But when you're facing ten, or well, like on some of these big days, we've literally got 150 active fires, hmm. and, and and ten of them will be major um, events. Uh, you, you, we just do not have the resources to put down um, in front of property. So actually making people aware very plainly that don't, do not count on a fire service being able to get to your house. So generally we're just saying get out of the way. Mm. Um, we do actually, we, like we have a, mainly because of the resources issue, we just uh, do have a, a different um, approach to um, firefighting than uh, the US. Certainly there is a lot more aggressive firefighting uh, over your way. Um, but having said that, um, you guys have had some some like really bad losses amongst the firefighters, um, in particular the um, Yarnell fire where mm-hmm. uh, 19 hotshots were lost. Yeah. So we, will, um, like, we won't be putting firefighters... Uh, in positions where that is likely to happen. However, there's been a lot. I myself have been through three burnovers this season where the fire literally passes over you. Um, So, yeah, it's it's been, yeah, bad. Like like, uh, 10 times anything I've ever seen. And how many photographers do you have uh, on your team covering it uh, at any one time or maybe not at one time but, you know, available to you? Well, look, each day we'll have one person doing something fire-related. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be political or social or environmental. Right. But on a big day, we'll probably have, say, three to four photographers, which is, you know, that's that's half of our staff these days. Yeah. Um, we're down to, well, we're down to about eight or nine photographers. Right. Uh, so it's pretty substantial when you've also got to put out a, a website and a, and a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And does the, do the the stories that tend to get covered vis-a-vis the, the fires themselves have to do with the potential for property damage and as they encroach on homes? I mean, that seems to be the case here. Often, you know, the story, it's not really a news story until it's it's bearing down on a neighborhood or a home. Uh, I mean, when you have to choose what you're going to cover that day. Like, the, the fires tend to be pretty quiet when it's not an active fire day. Like, you won't actually visually see a lot. Mm. Um, but we will be covering it in the, in the I guess, the way that um, we'll be talking about the areas that may be uh, impacted mm-hmm. or, or affected. Um, and that's usually in collaboration with the um, the fire services. Right. And of course, you have to keep in mind, as you mentioned earlier, all the the related aspects to this, from from you know the the, the damage, the environmental damage, the human tragedies, and and as we've been seeing here a lot about you know the wildlife. Uh, I mean, those are all stories related to this that need to be covered as well. So, well, certainly that um, certainly, in in my opinion, is overwhelmingly the the biggest issue. Um, Twenty five deaths. Is, is really bad. Yeah. Um, two, two and a half thousand homes is really bad. However, we will have had um, several extinctions, if not quite a few extinctions, and a lot of animals going from being actually fairly common into being seriously endangered species. Uh, we will have entire areas um, in our, particularly our alpine and rainforest areas in this state, um, possibly uh, no longer existing because. Um, what will happen is uh, these fires have come through and killed species that um, are not as fire tolerant as um, other species. 
So uh, the regions that that are very used to fires, uh, they're already sort of starting to um, recuperate. Um, but what will happen in um, in those alpine and, and rainforest areas is uh, the fires have killed um, those species, and faster growing, um, more fire tolerant species will be able to get in there quickly, and will push out um, those rainforest species. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to maybe ask uh, another question regarding the photography aspect of it. Uh, I know that you know to really work within with the firefighters, you need you're, you're generally supposed to be certified and and you know have experience working with fires as a photographer. I mean, uh, do you guys accept in the news aspect images coming in from you know amateur photographers or citizen journalists? And can you talk a little bit about this idea of people trying to just photograph a fire? Uh, who aren't trained, and do you discourage people from I, I getting so, a little yeah. bit too brave? Yeah, yeah. Well, is that an issue? Well, look, um, uh, yes, I, I guess a, a little bit. Um, generally, those images have come from people who have been uh, caught out. The, the actual ability to get into a fire zone um, as it's happening, but from outside of the area, is like you actually seriously need to know what you're doing. Even there's only only a few photographers who are achieving it. Right. Um, it tends to be people who just happen to be there at the time. So, but uh, it's certainly um, one of the issues that has come up has been um, there's huge amounts of international media here now, mm-hmm. and a fair percentage of them uh, have never covered a, a wildfire before. Um, or even any sort of conflict or anything like seriously dangerous before. So I have to say I'm pretty concerned about any future fires where suddenly we've got, where in the past we might have a couple of um, experienced photographers and a couple of experienced videographers and suddenly we've got 50, um, you know, Mm -hmm. guys from from Albania or something like that uh, wandering around a fire ground. That, That could be a big problem. Yeah, Um, yeah, we we are concerned about it. But as far as the the citizen journalism stuff, not really because um, our our images in general have been stronger and better. Um, There there were a few examples early on um, at some more remote fires. Um, Some of the the work from the firefighters, um, it tends to be generally um, sort of helmet cam um, stuff has been fantastic um, and and, and really gives a great um, impression. However, um, generally it's, it's been a real, uh, I guess, fight back from um, the professional photographers, mainly because like uh, bushfire sort of stuff is, it's as bad as close as it gets to um, sort of combat photography um, in in a place like uh, Australia. While we we would have three or four photographers out in, like, frankly, uh, um, life-threatening situations, every hour we would be updating our positions um, and our photo desk and photo editors, they could see where we were and what we were doing at the time. Um, And they would be um, fighting uh, very hard for uh, our images to be up immediately online on our blogs, and on um, actually their presence in the newspaper. And that has been a huge boon. The top five uh, stories that our papers ever had have been uh, bushfires. Uh, The top videos, it's bushfires. So um, it's been a real photographic-led event. Right, right, right. Yeah, wow. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, your certification and and what you've gone through? I know you've been doing this for many years, so... uh, to some degree, it's second nature, I suppose. But uh, can you talk about your start in this and, and what you had to go through and how you kind of began working with wildfires? Yeah, so I, where I grew up was in the Blue Mountains, which is west of Sydney. Um, very, um, like, fires are, are common out mm-hmm. there. Um, around uh, 2000, I decided uh, I wanted to really specialise on, on doing some bushfires. So I contacted, um, it's called the RFS, the Rural Fire Service here, and um, they didn't even have a a media training or anything like that. So they actually just invited me to come and train as a a firefighter. 
Um, So I went and did that, and that really gave me a great idea, not necessarily of of how fire would work, but how um, the firefighters would work around a fire and and being comfortable around a a crew and and what they were doing. Um, And then that, literally that year, um, we had some, some very bad fires in Sydney, uh, and then the following two years, we had um, fire, bad fires again, which um, culminated in the Canberra fires, where um, uh, uh, I think there was a, there was a lot of homes lost and and several lives lost. And so the ability to be on the front line and getting these images, whereas in the past it was always aftermath images, uh, it was just a huge um, advantage over any of the. Um, the competition. What did you learn during that time of, of being with the firefighters that you might you didn't know prior to that any kind of like you know eureka moments or go oh you know I didn't I never understood that that's a whole different gives me a different understanding of fires and how they behave. Um, you know, what, what what was your takeaway from that or any takeaways from that training? Um, probably the actual how close you can actually get to fire. Um, but also being aware of um, the fuel, like as in what what the the trees are like, what the fuel loads are on the ground, and um, and what the weather is. Um, so you can get pretty close to to fire um, and be, I guess, in quotation marks, um, safe mm-hmm. um, as long as you've got somewhere that you can retreat into. Uh, you can be surrounded by fire. You can have a massive top end fire pass through your area. But as long as you've got somewhere to retreat to, um, you can be safe. However, um, it's been seasons like 2009 and this season where you have to go an extra level of um, of really preparing yourself for the the, the possibility of of getting injured um, or burned mm. at some of these fires. So there are there's been a couple of times where the fire has swept past your ability to get back back to a um, to mm-hmm. a, a safety zone, and that's really just been. So you, you have to be with um, near a a fire crew, and you want to be confident that that fire crew are very confident in their own skills and 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 show some um, some real professionalism and and don't seem skittish mm. or overly. Um, emotional about defending uh, the homes that they are at. Interesting. And do you, I mean, is that for you, the, the, the rush, is that, that's what, that's what you really like to do. You just kind of get in there as much as possible into those zones that are, you know, that are kind of dangerous. Uh, and has that changed over time uh, in terms of, I mean, you can take a great photo of a, a fire. I'm, I'm assuming from, from a distance as well. Uh, and there's, as we just, you know, as we mentioned many other aspects to the stories, but personally, is that what gives you the thrill still, if that, if that's the right word? Um, I, like my aim is to really, uh, let people understand what it is like to be on the line with mm-hmm. the firefighters. Okay. And whereas a, a long lens can certainly, it gives you the idea that it's a strong fire and it can look impactful, but it lacks that um, person, the real personal feel and, and the real intensity of, of uh, like, for example, uh, I took some shots at a place called Bilpin, which is west of Sydney. It was uh, five o'clock in the afternoon. It, it was four hours before sunset mm-hmm. and yet it was black as night. Right. And flame, flames were going over our heads, um, and there, there were homes burning around us. A firefighter had just been hit by a, 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 a truck on the road uh, in front of us. It, it's capturing – you just can't capture that stuff with a long lens. You you have to be with there with them. And there comes a respect from those firefighters that you're – they can see uh, that you know what you're doing. It, it becomes very obvious uh, when a, a, a member of the media – knows what they're doing or right. are blundering around. Right. Um, there's certainly a respect that comes back when you're covering them and prepared to um, to go through the same um, conditions um, so that people understand what it is they're, do- they're, they're doing. I mean, most of the time, uh, particularly from uh, the professional firefighters or the volunteers but that have, are very experienced, 
they're actually pretty happy um, to have uh, maybe one or two media around sure. so that their families can see what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, what they're doing is, you know, is valiant and important, so that should be documented as well. Um, and, and that kind of camaraderie and that respect that, that, you, that you can see and feel amongst the, the firefighters, does that exist also amongst the handful of photographers that are, are dedicated to this as well? I mean, do you feel that? Uh, absolutely. Amongst, yeah. in, in, in fact, um, tonight uh, we had an invitation from our arch enemies. So um, <laughs> I'm with the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, the Murdoch <laughs> paper here is um, the Daily Telegraph. Uh, and they have given us an invite to a drinks night. Um, it's uh, uh, it's called Beers, Bushfires and No Bullshit. That's going to be the name of our new podcast, by the way. I think it's a good name. Yeah. Sounds, that's the most Australian thing I've ever heard. Like- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So essentially we'll be just telling um, stories uh, like – Everybody who's covered the fires this season has got tales of of some of the stuff they've seen. And look, some of it is, in some ways, nights like this are actually better than seeing a, a psychoanalyst. Um, yeah. you, you can get a few bad memories um, when you're, particularly the the, the animal deaths. Um, like you, you can go into a field and there'll be hundreds of burned, um, bloating carcasses of of. Um, of cattle or, mm-hmm. or even some of them are still alive. It can be pretty uh, heart-wrenching to see that sort of stuff. Um, certainly over the years, myself and a few other photographers have had to put animals out of their misery because you're, you're the only one there. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you'll just be – you'll share a, a moment with a, a, a resident who you've just been with, um, but no firefighters around and it was just you and a resident. There are times when you put down the camera um, – that's why having a helmet cam is great, but um, <laughs> and and you're actually looking around and going, shit, I'm gonna have to help out here. Not yeah. not just because you want to help this person, but uh, you're in trouble yourself. So there's been a, a few circumstances amongst us where we've we've helped defend properties, um, and, and essentially you've got to be a you know you've got to be a human uh, a, as well. Yeah, and you mentioned hem- helmet cam. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the gear you use and even maybe some, some of the evolution of the gear since, you know, back in the early two thousands when you started, I mean, obviously film the digital we, we know about, but, but maybe specifically related to, to the job that you're doing with the, with the heat and the fire. Yeah, actually it's quite funny. Um, I imagine you have to avoid lenses with plastic barrels, no? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, my 24 to 70, uh, I've got a Nikon 24 to 70, but it has been through, uh, hell this season with dust storms and bushfires. It, it literally is just jammed up. I can't, uh, I can't zoom now. So I just got to run forwards and backwards if I want to um, zoom in closer <laughs> to something. I'm going to get it fixed up the season. Um, uh, you guys may have heard of Ken Cobra. He he back in he used to do the best of photojournalism um, books uh, back in the the 90s. He came over in 2000 and did a little um, doco for his, his books. Um, I think it's University of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he, you can see it on, on YouTube. Uh, it's just called Fire Photojournalist. It is super embarrassing for myself because I was young and I was just a moron. Oh, my God. I just, just uh, hate, hate weren't, listening weren't to myself. We all, weren't we all? <laughs> but, but what is really cool is is actually watching the gear. So that was an important time. So we would shoot um, some some stuff on digital and and file it um, for online and and also just to help them set out a page. But we were also shooting film uh, at the time as well. And a helicopter would come and pick up our film. Now the newspaper world has changed very much. So we we don't have uh, helicopters coming to uh, help us out uh, at all these days. But uh, it, it is actually quite interesting just to see uh, the, the, the gear we're using back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days I'm using a, um, a Nikon D5, mm-hmm. uh, generally just a 24 to 70. Um, every now and then I might use a, uh, what is it, a 100 to 400. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally I try to keep my gear very light um, uh, and, and – um, the other stuff I'll be using is just having an iPhone. Um, I just use a cable to get mm-hmm. the, the the images out because I just 
find Wi-Fi's too. It, it can be frustrating when it's not working. Right. Um, and you file? Do you and, load everything to some kind of hard drive, like in a spare moment, and and put that in a safe spot and, and get back at it, or <laughs> how's that work? No, no. I just finish the day right. essentially, and then uh, yeah, I'll sort that out at the end of the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, like I've usually got a, a sixty-four gig card, so mm-hmm. I mean I don't tend to blast away uh, if if there's uh, if the, like I'll record moments but most of the day really is spent um working out exactly where a fire is going to come out right. and which street it's going to come out at or wow. um so that the most fire days are spent doing that there are the the big fire the the real top end ones it's just um extreme the entire day um but you do tend to have to take a break uh literally you're going through half a liter of water every um 15 minutes right. it's we're wow. talking temperatures up, getting getting up around 120 Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's been another one of the big things. So we had a 48.5 degree day here. That's wow. um, Celsius. That that's around 120. Yeah. Um, and you mix that with 40 um, to 50 mile an hour winds, and you're, you're talking crazy sort of days. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, like walking around. Here, that's like walking around with a hairdryer blowing in your face all day long. No, no, that would, you use that to cool yourself down. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, it's actually the most likely way to, 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 um, to go down. So I've, uh, over the years collapsed three times on a fire ground and each time it's because I just did not get enough water oh, in, into myself. That's a good point. Um, Salt pills. Yeah. Me ask, oh, wow. Yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anything else in terms of maybe, I don't know, like safety-related gear or or anything that that or, you want to preca- mention. Special precautions that you take because again, these are just beyond extreme. This is yeah. excessive environmental stuff going on. Uh, look, we, we you're not even allowed into a fire ground um, without um, it's it's like proban, so right. it's a, an anti-flammable um, clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, we're we're dressed up exactly the same. As, As the, um, the fire yeah. photographers, yeah, yeah the firefighters yeah. Um, that you'd see, see in the US. Um, in fact, uh, there was a, um, I picked up a, uh, so a Californian um, fire photographer uh, popped over. Um, he, he literally just decided to come over to Australia for, um, to do the training. Um, and he uh, contacted me and um, just, uh, yeah, he wanted, said, uh, dude, uh, can I, come out with you um uh today and i was like yep okay quick get down here and literally within 15 minutes of of so he got off the plane got his car came out with me and then he was standing in front of burning buildings um (laughs) like almost immediately it it was like yeah welcome to australia mate yeah you guys know how to roll out the welcome mat huh yeah yeah he was like (laughs) wow that's uh, incredible yeah it was it was it was pretty uh, pretty amazing wow yeah. and and on that note any differences that you've noticed between the way uh, uh, American fire photographers work or, or cover or, or think to cover the story compared to what you guys do uh, hmm. a, a lot of the US guys tend to be uh, uh, university educated. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to come from essentially, uh, we'll finish school and, and, and go into the newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've kind of had to, uh, a, 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 the way we tend to do stuff is much more instinctive. Um, certainly, um, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, 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 to see really there's a that, there's a particular style that's come out of the u.s i tend to see more um medium to long lens work um we tend to because we're braver mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we we tend to to go in a, a, a bit tighter but no i wouldn't i wouldn't exactly say um yeah uh i'd see too many differences no no, okay. no. Just well, aside from the bad. cowboy hats of course <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um so last question i have and ellen i don't know if you have any more I, no we pretty much covered it I think. yeah i just want to ask you are there any one is there any one image or that has kind of become the the image of of this season's fires i mean is there is there one 
maybe not obviously not necessarily taken by you or even your newspaper, but something that has been repeated and kind of stands out as the iconic shot so far? Well, yeah, look, Matt Abbott's image of the kangaroo in front of a burning house yeah. um, that was used by the New York Times went ballistic. Mm-hmm. However, what was quite funny, like I'm good mates with Matt. Um, he's also part of o- Oculi. Uh, it, it, it wasn't actually used in Australia because, well, we've seen kangaroos before. Right. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it, 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 it's like, yeah, we know. Okay, that's nailed it down to it's in Australia. Right. Uh, so probably... Um, it would be a mixture of, uh, one of, one of mine, um, which is a, um, an image of a firefighter running and just millions of embers, um, sweeping around him. Um, uh, that's been used a lot, um, locally and, and internationally, but not, um, not as much as, um, uh, as Matt's image that his image has been like, just. Mm. just n- stolen by literally everybody from, you know, Gwyneth Thunberg to DiCaprio to like, everybody's just taken his picture, ripped, ripped his, his, uh, credit off it and just used it willy nilly. So I would imagine there's going to be a few, uh, invoices sent out at the end of this. (laughs) (laughs) I like that little, uh, touch on it though, too, because that's important. Needless to say from, for the working photographer. That's correct. Matt's a freelancer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, okay. he, He sold his, his image to New York times, but, um, like literally, they've probably made like thousands out of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's a bit sucky that he's not getting anything out of it. And when people are nicking it and not even crediting him, right. um, you know, I'm I'm a, a full timer, so at least I'm I'm getting a, a wage out of it. But to have that happen, have your image so well recognized, and literally get nothing out of it. Mm-hmm. That's a real sting. Yeah. Nick, thanks a whole bunch. Uh, is there anything you want to throw at us in terms of, you know, we can direct our listeners to take a look at, at your work and any other work you recommend on, on the subject and, uh, and anything else you want to add in terms of what's coming up next, uh, in terms of covering the fire. And also if there are any, uh, organizations that are, that you believe are worth donating to, to help in this cause, because there are a lot of people and organizations that do need help right now because of these fires. So if there's anything you can give us, we could post that as well on uh, our page. Uh, probably the best donation is is actually to travel to Australia. Um, I mean, and 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 spend your well-earned money uh, in some of these these areas. So you can donate lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's a good point. Um, mm-hmm. Like what I've been encouraging certainly local uh, I- I locals is to go out to um, some of these areas and and support the the, the hotels, the motels, the the, the pubs, um, that's Local what they business. really need is, yeah, yeah that, that's what will get people back. That's what will get people there. I mean, the, the most important thing is their confidence uh, and their pride in themselves. When you've got that and you feel like you're not beaten, um, like when you're getting handouts, it, that gets you through a, a little bit of a time. But if you're spending the next, you know, year on handouts, it's pretty depressing. Um, it's so, demoralizing, like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Look, Australia is an astounding place to visit. Um, certainly, New South Wales has been really badly hammered, but um, there are still, you know, Sydney's still here. <laughs> there's, there's still plenty to plenty to see. And actually, coming in and seeing some of these areas that will be recovering um, would be interesting to look at. And 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 then, of course, you've got all the other parts of Australia. Um, so, really, while you know, you've seen these maps. Actually, you know, guys, this is actually something I will, um, if you want to do another little section on, is the amount of bullshit that is uh, plastered around on social media. So you've seen some of these maps where it has like a a map of Australia over the US and they'll have all these fire symbols everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, Australia is a fire-prone country. It has um, a flora that is specifically uh, like evolved to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so most of all the fires that you'll see, they're just normal lightning strike fires, nothing abnormal. That's just how it goes. But it, it's been the intensity in Southeast Australia and the scale of those fires in our forest areas. That's the big, uh, the, the big problem. And day-to-day life in, in, in central Sydney is going on as per normal. How, how's that, you know, is, I guess it's day-to-day based on winds and everything uh, else or how's that work? It, it's, it's, 
it's okay again now. Mm-hmm. However, we've still got very high temperatures, mm-hmm. um, like way above normal. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly um, up until about uh, the 5th of January, um, f- for about two months, uh, we were having uh, like incredible uh, amounts of, of pollution, so mm-hmm. bushfire smoke. Right. So I, I suspect by the end of this, you, like when they go through the data, they'll – there would probably be hundreds of being killed from right. um, respiratory illnesses, and, and there were. There's been a lot. I think it's like 111 days in a row or something where we had just like a, off the scale um, pollution. There, mm-hmm. there were days where you couldn't couldn't see, you know, 50 meters ahead of you. It was that thick. Well, um, like there was there was a day when I, I walked down to the beach the other day and. It was actually actually felt different, and I was trying to work out what it was, and then I realised it's because everything didn't have just this yellow sepia cast over it all, hmm. um, because that's it, it had been like that for so long, it was actually becoming depressing to, to everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was. It, that's another issue is I guess like the imagery has been so strong from um, both video and stills um, from this that. It's actually had a bit of an impact, I would say, on the mental um, health of, of a lot of people. So I've got four kids and I was quite aware of not letting them be too aware of what was going on because they can kind of feel like it's the end of the world. Um, and while, yeah, mm. it's really bad what's going on, um, you need them to be in a position to be able to carry on daily life without thinking that, you know, the house is going to burn down the mm-hmm. next second. Good point. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. Real point. Nick, if people want to catch up with more of your work, uh, websites, Instagram, where should they go to take a look at your photographs? So mine are, is uh, at Nampix, N-A-M-P-I-X. That doesn't stand for Vietnam. That's Nicholas Allen Moyer. <laughs> um, and um, then there's Oculi, so O-C-U-L-I. Um, that's on Instagram. Uh, that's kind of where I keep my most up-to-date stuff. Okay. Um, and we'll have all also, that on our site as well. Yeah. And of course there's um, the Sydney morning Herald on Instagram. You can find that. That's actually a good um, way of just seeing what's sort of going on. So we'll be putting up bushfire uh, work, but also, um, I, I mean, where, what, what the real challenge will be in the future is, is covering the environmental and social stuff and not exhausting the readers. Mm. That's going to be a real issue. Um, and Instagram is a great way to actually see how we're sort of thinking about um, the way we're going about it. Good. Wonderful. Okay. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today and bringing us up to speed on what's going on there. And uh, best of luck to everybody there. My, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. Another great show, if we may say so ourselves. Thank you so much, Nick Moyer, for spending time with us and uh, letting us know what's going on over there. We see it in the papers, and it's interesting to hear it firsthand from somebody who's actually there. Okay, that's a wrap for another show. Again, don't forget, next week is the Depth of Field Conference here in New York City. And for now, my name is Alan Weitz, and on behalf of John and Jason, thank you so much for joining us today.